This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the US and Canada. Today, I'll be talking to Carrie McCrossin and Ian McWethy. Their A-U-Y-A book, Margot Mertz Takes It Down, is a fierce and fast-paced read about a teenage fixer who is working to take down a revenge porn website targeting her fellow female students. It's got a ton of heart and some really great twists and turns. I really, really enjoyed this one, and I can't wait to talk all about it. So, let's get started. Hey, Carrie and Ian. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. This is very exciting. Of course. So I always like to start, if you could give our listeners just a brief introduction to you guys and to your debut book. Sure. An introduction to us. Uh, Hi, I'm Carrie. And um, Ian and I are, we're married. We're a couple. Mm -hmm. This is our debut novel. We'd written other stuff before, but nothing this intense or long. We've written like some features screenplays and some one-act plays. One plays. So we've done other things, but not anything in the book world. This yeah. is our first book. Our backgrounds are in theater, comedy. I did improv comedy for a long time in New York. Yeah, and I've written mostly plays, but I've also dabbled in screenplays and mm-hmm. TV pilots and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, Ian has, I'll brag for you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> plays are performed all over the country in high schools. Every year he'll have like one or two of the top 10 most produced high school plays. So that's kind of what our background is. And then, yeah, about the book. So, yeah, I mean, you gave us a great little blurb about the book. I think that's I think that's a great starting point. Margot Mertz is a fixer. She's sort of a lone wolf. She operates mostly on her own. And when the book opens, she has an established cleaning career. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something that she's done for a few years. She's very well known in the school and the community as Mm -hmm. someone, if you have something embarrassing or shameful or accidental Mm -hmm. that gets online, she will find it and erase it. And that's what she's known as. She's intimidating. She's a little scary. Yeah, and she's doing this because she comes from middle-class background, and her parents do not have money to pay for the college that she wants to go to, which is Stanford. So she's socking all of this money away to pay for college. So that's kind of like the setup. And toward the beginning of this book, I don't think that this is a big spoiler, but a fellow student comes to her and asks her to do one of her fixing jobs. 
But what she wants erased is that she has been featured on a revenge porn site. And when Margot discovers that there's a revenge porn site, that it features lots of young women from her school, it's even like a step above how most revenge porn exists, which is people angrily or even not angrily post pictures of their exes. This is even, it's a sleeker web design. Like somebody has spent some time to put together basically like a Facebook of revenge porn and Margot just loses her mind. She's furious. Yeah. It's also like it's hosted on tour. It's hidden. It's really professionally made and she has no idea who's done it. And all the boys seem to know about it. And pretty much the girls who are on the site know about it, but adults don't. And, uh, yeah, she makes it her mission to take the site down, which yeah. proves difficult. So that's kind of the book, and it's her in high school trying to do this really adult job, which is yeah. like seeking vengeance for these young women who have been wronged. You know, all of their images have been shared without their consent, and that is a crime. And I think that's, <laughs> I mean, without giving a major spoiler, that I hope is a big takeaway of our book. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk a little bit about that later as well. But that comes through very, very well and very thoughtfully done, which I really appreciated in your story that what is happening here is illegal. Like it is not okay. It is not, there's no gray area here. It is just bad. I also like that you guys come from a theater background because I love how much the lighting booth plays a pivotal (laughs) role in this book. I was also a theater kid in high school and college. And I'm like, yeah, the lighting booth is a cool place to hang out that no one ever knows about, so perfect. Theater kids always find yourself in weird parts of the building that you didn't expect. You're like, it's a loading dock, loading in some kind of, like, couch for the set or something. Like, all these parts of the school that you wouldn't ordinarily be in, yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. There's, like, a whole extra wing that's, like, just for you that no one ever knows about. <laughs> And so you guys mentioned this is your debut book. And so I'm always really curious with debuts, but especially with a couple. Did you guys always have the goal of writing a young adult novel? Like, is this something long time in the making? Or did this idea come about more recently? Yeah, so this is kind of an unusual story in that I think I had sort of a tentative goal. I was like, maybe five years from now. I always found novels like the most intimidating thing to write. It was something... I was getting more interested in, but I was like, I think I really need to prep and, you know, starting to research and read a lot more. But I was like, I think I'm like three years away. (laughs) And then we got this opportunity to pitch different ideas for YA books to this company that had an imprint. It was from a general meeting I did. I don't want to like stop your story here, but we had originally imagined this as a screenplay and we took that, we tried to sell it as a screenplay and A production company was like, well, what if it was a book? And I know that sounds very weird and bad as a starting point to write a book, but we got excited with that. We thought, like, well, actually, that would be really cool. (laughs) Yeah. Interrupt you. No, that's right. So I pitched them initially like three different movies, and this was the one that we sort of wrote together because I Mm -hmm. felt like I couldn't write this by myself. It was very much in a voice that I felt like was Carrie's voice and comic sensibility, and I just thought it would benefit so much from, you know, us working together. And this was the book they chose and started developing it, and Mm -hmm. it was sort of a leap of faith every time. We're like, well, let's see if we can write a chapter. Let's see if we can (laughs) write a treatment of this. And we were able to get through that part, and then... 
We eventually yeah. sold it, and it's been equal parts exciting and intimidating, mm-hmm. and we just feel like very yeah. sort of honored to be like working in this space because yeah. really grown to appreciate YA novels and there's yeah so I much. love YA yeah I did not ever see this as something I mean I like started to write a book in college and it was so bad <laughs> and I did not finish it and I'm so glad I didn't finish it because it was so bad but yeah it's been a weird journey to this and I didn't see it coming but I do think like YA is such an exciting space it's kind of how I feel about when there's like one area where you're just getting like tons of talent and tons of new ideas. I think that is happening in TV too. They say it's like a golden age of TV. I think it's a golden age of YA because I think a lot of great talent is drawn to work in this space. And I think that shows with all of the, the new stuff that's coming out. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Also a big fan of YA. So I'm with you. I love that that's your story because I think it's so great for everyone to hear like every book has a different journey. There is no one right way to even come up with an idea it could come from anywhere and it can start as a movie and turn into a book and then become a TV show. Like who knows what it's going to be. I think, I think that's in, great. In both of our careers, we have very much just like tried different things and we have failed miserably mm-hmm. in different mediums. And then, you know, it's just like one thing sticks and that leads to another thing. And we've both been pretty open in at least trying different stuff and that certainly worked out in this situation. Yeah, I think there is something nice about, like, working in sketch, writing a sketch and then working on a novel. Like, you want to work all those different writing muscles all the time because they do, I think, strengthen each other. Yeah, and this is definitely the meld of, like, I don't think I would have been ready to write a book by myself. But I think both of our talents and experiences together was able to, like, forge a book. Yes. I don't know how people do it by themselves. Yeah. Very intimidating, for sure. But no, I think that makes total sense. And I really like what you said, too, about how combining your two skills and your two voices, because actually the next thing I wanted to talk about, just jumping right in, my favorite part of this book by far is the character of Margot. She is such a real, like, singular, unique person, and she's got these quirks and flaws that come along with, like, being a real human being. I was hoping you'd talk a little bit about developing her character, but I'm especially really curious about how you guys created she has this very specific singular voice like she is one person and you totally understand who she is but there are two of you writing the story so I was really curious how you guys created that character together then coming out of the book with just sort of this one really specific voice that is Margot that's such a good question and I hope that our answer will be good but (laughs) we can tell you like what the inspirations were for her voice or like where how we sort of found that but I will say when we first sat down to start writing and again as Ian said it was sort of like this experiment of can we write a book even so that is the place that we started from we found her voice so quickly and that was the thing that drove I mean it, it drives the whole book and it drove us don't you think? Like mm-hmm. we, yeah. we landed on it very quickly, and then once we got it, we were like, "Oh yeah, this is right." We could just kind of feel it, and now I would say it is almost impossible to tell. I mean, I don't even remember like no. which parts I wrote versus which parts Ian wrote. It, it's hard for us to remember that because it's so seamless now, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, again, when we came up with this idea and this pitch, like, I always just had a voice in my head, and I Mm -hmm. felt like it was Carrie's voice, sort of. I was just like, I kept hearing her voice, or type of character she would play. It's not Carrie. You have to be clear. I am the the poster does sort of look like Margot is not me, and I don't 
talk or think like that, but there's something about like the cadence of her voice and of her, I think she, she and I share a comedic aesthetic. I would say like that sort of my sense of like what's funny, but we wanted Margot to be brave and bold and very, very confident. And I am none of those things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, We're cowardly writers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that was part of it, too. Yeah. I mean, we were inspired by, like, Ferris Bueller and Veronica Mars and some of those teens who... Just have an irrational just confidence. Just have so much confidence yeah. and can fool adults all the time. So we were kind of thinking about that. Yeah. And then on top of that, I would just say, probably, like, the first two chapters were, like, the longest it took us to write. And that was really yeah. where we found a balance between having really fun tangents, but also, mm-hmm. like, finding a way to cull those tangents and... Mm-hmm. You know, a chapter that someone would actually want to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I love her confidence. There's a scene towards the beginning of the book where she's in the lighting booth and she's trying to focus, and one of the teachers is, like, down on the stage on his phone, and she just, like, shouts at him over the god mic, hey, teacher's first name, like, can you give me, and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I gotta go. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know that many adults with that level of yeah. I know. I love it's that It's amazing. Point. I loved it. But also, like, really, really funny. Like, genuinely laughing as she's doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, get it. There is something so immediate about calling a teacher by their first name. It just feels like so, you're like, whoa, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, I know we said we don't remember. I'm pretty sure that was something Carrie wrote. I know initially. I wrote that. I yeah. do know that. <laughs> <laughs> it came from deep I end. thought it was too funny. <laughs> Yeah, I loved that part. I also really loved you were talking about her going on these tangents and then bringing it back to keep the story moving. You guys had a really fun way of doing that in the book in that you used footnotes throughout the story, which you don't see a lot in novels or YA novels especially. But I thought it was like the minute I started reading them, I was like, oh, this is like how someone's brain would work if you're like trying to tell a story. But you do have these little things where you're like, but I need to add that. Like, but someone needs to know just in case they want more information. I was wondering, did you find that in the writing process? Like, you just had more you wanted to include? Or did you always have the idea of, we should add these footnotes? It was definitely in the writing process. It was like, once we started, I'm pretty sure that I started the footnote thing. Yeah. And I think I was doing it, honestly, I might have been doing it as a joke. Sometimes I will write things in my first draft just to, like, make Ian laugh. <laughs> I'll <just be laughs> like. But coming from a place of, like, she had these tangents and also... I think there's something so inherently funny about the footnotes because they're just like an opportunity for a little joke or a little, just a little extra of fun. Mm -hmm. But too often, like we said, we were losing the narrative, the thread of the narrative because Margot's voice was so strong. So we had to like scale back. And I think we, you know, we would put some things in footnotes so that we didn't lose the flow. Yeah, I think like early on, it just felt like we definitely wanted her to have that quality. Of, she's going off, and a lot of things bug her, and she'll just go off on these rants. You know, after sleeping on it a day, I'd read a chapter and be like, this was not as much fun to read as it was to write. <laughs> like, it felt really fun to write. Yeah. But then you could take some of those stuff and put them in footnotes, and we were like, oh, this is great. And if people find them annoying, then they don't have to read them. <laughs> there <laughs> is ahead. something, just my experience with footnotes is just predominantly through, like, college reading, where they're sort of dry usually, and it's either, like, a citation or just some added fact that enriches the reading or whatever. And I, I don't know. Something about taking that and making it be something that you really do want to read, something that is fun, it seemed Margot. Something about it also fits with Margot's voice. Yeah, you wanted to get in her head, and it's yeah. funny to just have her confidence voice, but also just her weird other thoughts that pop yeah. up is, like, very fun to us. 
And I also loved, like, this girl who's using QuickBooks to, like, input her invoices. She would organize her thoughts with footnotes. Like, that would be the way. I mean, like, character-wise, she is organized. Yeah. Yeah. That's I love great. That. I'm going to steal that in future interviews. That's a much better way to <laughs> explain that. Oh, yeah. It's all yours. I wanted to shift and talk a little bit because one reason I love YA is I think YA always has some really great romances in it. And this book definitely delivers on that. One of my favorite things is that the relationship between Margot and Avery starts off with her thinking, not wanting to be anywhere near him because he's, quote, too nice. She was like, no one can be that nice. And I was like, I relate to that. I always <laughs> people, I'm like, I don't know if I trust you. You seem too bad. <laughs> but also in this book that, you know, does have these male characters who can be really rough to read. There's toxic masculinity, obviously, and there's also some guys who are doing some really abusive behavior. It was really nice to also have this male character who really listened to her and respected her boundaries and very easily and confidently gave such a great example of how you can follow someone's pace without making it weird or complicated. He just kind of like saw where she was going or what she needed and followed in that direction. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about creating the Avery character and where he came from. Well, I'm like you. I love a love story. <laughs> and we definitely knew that we wanted that. I would say like the initial idea for Avery's character is who would be the perfect foil for this misanthropic, cynical, lone wolf. It would be somebody who is really good at the social side of things, somebody who everyone loves, who seems to enjoy people. Avery is in every club. He's really good at stuff. He's really good at life really, especially from the outside, but also I think from the inside, he's generally a pretty happy person. And it just does nice things for her character to put her in contact with somebody who is like that. Yeah, we like that as sort of a plot device that she would get in this fake relationship and she'd have to keep this going in order to get to different suspects to do different things. Mm -hmm. Then once we had that idea, we realized it was an interesting moral dilemma because it's like, oh, what she's actually doing, pretending to be this person's girlfriend, is actually not great. And especially as she starts to, you know, fall for him, which she's in complete denial about it. It's like, oh, then what do you do if you've been lying to this person? Yeah. So we all found that pretty interesting. And I think Avery was the one character, like, as we were writing that we would keep coming back and be like, what is going on with him? Because he was in the plot. But we wanted to make sure he was a three-dimensional character, that he wasn't just there to service Margot's needs, right, that he totally. had other stuff going on, <clears throat> that he had his own arc. And we tried to really think, like, what was his book? What's going on with him when he's not, you know, in the mm -hmm. different chapters? Yeah. And that was cool. It was, like, a great challenge. And, like, the more we wrote him, the more we grew to love that character and mm -hmm. the more complicated and more... Mm -hmm. angsty background we could give him the more interesting he was to us and he continues into the second book we sort of hinted some of his problems and we get to see more of those yeah. in yeah. the second book yeah I mean it was like if what we want is in terms of our structure is someone who's a foil for Margot like what makes a person like that how does a person become somebody who's that great at being in all these different social situations and in Avery's case like maybe code switching between different groups and belonging everywhere that's where we started to think about his home life and we thought about him as a peacemaker between two parents who maybe don't always get along 
that really unlocked a lot for us with Avery. He's somebody who is really good at smoothing everything over, making sure everybody's having a good time, and sometimes at the expense of his own self or at the expense of him being able to be vulnerable. And so you can see that Margot is actually doing a lot for his character, too. And that's what we've wanted. Yeah, and there's something also, like you said, intrinsically funny about like, I remember that person in high school who was just, like, nice and oh, yeah. liked, and it was like, he's kind of based I want to hate people. I want to hate that guy, but, like, he's too nice, and he hasn't done yeah, anything yeah. wrong. And they have a character who's like, I actually hate him. <laughs> 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 and he's done nothing wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's a funny place to start. Yeah. Yeah, we've all known people like that. It's so yeah. relatable. If you don't, you might be that person. Yeah. <laughs> you might be them. I would totally read the Avery book. I found him really interesting, and I really liked the relationship. And I liked the twist you guys put on the fake dating. It's like, oh, I see where this is going, but it's different. (laughs) So I wanted to talk a little bit about the thing this is all circling around, this revenge porn and the revenge porn website that she's trying to take down. Obviously, this can be a really difficult topic, no matter how you're approaching it, especially with YA. We said at the beginning, but I do want to reiterate because I think it's really important. You guys do a really, really good job of making sure that from the beginning, there is explicitly no slut shaming that's in any way seen as okay. The conversation that Margot has with the first victim that she speaks to, I think, is really, really well done, where she makes it very clear, like, you've done nothing wrong. This is not your fault. You have every right to feel the way you're feeling about this. Also, the fact that it is pointed really specifically that the people who made this website and the people uploading to this website are committing several crimes, like not just one, but like multiple crimes that are illegal and like punishable by very serious consequences, as they should be. And also that the women who are experiencing this and whose pictures are being uploaded are going through trauma. Like, this is a traumatic experience for them. However they feel about that is completely within their right to feel. But this is not something that can be joked off or just pushed under the rug. Like, this is a very real thing they're dealing with. And then also, which I think you guys did really well, is the fact that even the people who aren't uploading to the site or didn't create it but are just looking at it, they're also complicit in what is happening. Like, they are also abusing these women and doing something that's really not okay. And I think you guys pointed all of those things out really, really well and made it very clear, which I think is important. I was very curious about where you guys got the idea for this subject matter, for this story. But I was also wondering if you guys felt, especially writing for maybe a younger audience or a young adult audience, if you had any responsibility sort of telling this story and telling it responsibly. Yeah. So I first learned about this. I read a book called American Girls by Nancy Jo Sales, which is about a woman who basically spent a year interviewing teenagers across the country and like all different places about their social media habits and their online habits. And there was a section that was about boys who would trade nudes and sort of curate them. And she found this happened in a couple different schools. Like some boys would put it up on Instagram. Some would just share it among themselves. And it just stuck with me because it was so horrifying, not of my experience going to high school. And I didn't necessarily think I would write about it right away, but I think when we came up with this idea of a high school fixer, we were like, oh, that's an interesting plot, and that's something that would be interesting to explore. And I think as we did more research, aside from that book, it became apparent that it was like, oh, this is a serious and complicated issue, and we really didn't want to sugarcoat any aspect of it, be it the victims or how hard it is to actually punish or or try. You know, it sort of depends what state you're in. A lot of students go through this problem or might have this happen to them, and they're 
principal or superintendent might be like, oh, it's the girl's fault. Or, like, they just have no idea how to, you know, properly punish this crime. And there's no laws on the book. It's starting to catch up a little bit. Yeah. Um, Like, New York State just passed a law. It's not enough. You know, it's it's very – this technology isn't new anymore. So we need to react (laughs) to it. And, yeah, there need to be more serious punishments and also probably – training. I mean, if you imagine that a principal is probably our age or older, they may not be on TikTok or on, they need to understand that this is a crime and to have training to deal with it too. Yeah. I'm glad you felt like it was handled responsibly at the same time. You also don't want it to be like a lesson, you know, you don't want it to be just like, you want it to be entertaining and in her voice, but also treat it seriously so it was a tricky balance and I think especially as it came to the end it was important without giving too much away that it was a little bit more of a nuanced complicated ending yeah I think we do feel a responsibility and not because our audience is younger necessarily just because they're real people who are dealing with this and we wanted to make sure that we and Margot were going to come on down on the right side here and that we didn't want to make excuses or give anybody a pass. And the more we dug into this, we realized there's so many people that are complicit in these situations. And we just really wanted the book to express that. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely a complicated topic. And I think it is a YA book was really helpful because I think sometimes people think YA should shy away from harder topics, but it's like, this is happening to the people whose age these books are for. Like, someone is going to see this as their own experience, and it's really important that we give them a story and and give them a story that shows, like, it's not okay what's happening. And Yeah, Yeah. to give you an example, the generational difference, my parents read the book, and they said, well, this is a good book, but stuff like this doesn't really happen in high school, right? And like a week later, a woman read the book who is a parent of teenage girls. And she said, you didn't even go hard enough. There is. (laughs) You don't know how bad it is. And so I think, I mean, YA can handle it. Our book is 14 and up, but like, these are the people dealing with it. Yeah, it's always interesting. Something might be considered R-rated or MA when it's just like honestly talking about situations that happen that in high school. That happen in high school. It's like they should be Did everybody watching see everything. Avengers Endgame? Because, <laughs> come on, like if you can deal with that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. If you can handle that, you can handle a whole lot of stuff. I actually, I did want to talk about, and spoiler free as much as possible, but I did find the ending of her book really intriguing. Like you said, at one point, there's sort of this fantasy where Margot's like, and then there was no more toxic masculinity ever again. Just kidding. That's not what happened. That's really not realistic. And so I was hoping you guys might be able to talk just a little bit more about how you walked that narrow line. Because it's a really narrow line between providing a satisfying ending, but also keeping things realistic to how they might actually end. Yeah, I mean, that was something that, you know, when we initially outlined the book, which we had to do chapter by chapter, just because we had to make sure we're on the same page, we got to the end and it was, you know, we sort of had a chapter that was like, oh, she turns all her evidence over to the police and they take care of it. And we, when we got to that point, we both sort of realized, I'm not sure this is actually what would happen and what would actually happen. We also didn't want the police to be this, like, yeah, dance that was machina. Thing. Yeah, and a book I read that was helpful was called Nobody's Victim by Carrie Goldberg. She's a victim's rights lawyer, and she has a lot of clients who deal with, 
sexual assault abuse or online sexual harassment. And she had a section that was sort of about this. And it just shed a light into like how complicated it was. And I realized the happiest ending we could give her. Don't say what it is. I won't say what it is, but is a complicated one. It was important to us. I guess I'd say when we got to the end of the book, we really had to like stop and do more research and yeah. research more about like what happens in revenge porn cases in high school. Yes. What would and, be the most likely thing to happen in this scenario? Yeah. Best, or, or what's the scenario? range? You know, we had to read. Yeah. Like, I read different articles. They're sort of hard to find because it's it was sort of like random news articles here and there would report about it. But then this book had more insights and cases she had taken, and that yeah. was really helpful in sort of figuring out, oh, yeah. this is how you might be able to get some sort of justice. And that's, that's too, just thinking about the plot. I think in terms of how do you close this book and walk away from it and feel satisfied, we started to think less about plot and more about, like, character and emotionally, like, what would feel right in this moment or what would make you feel content to walk away from this book in this moment. So I think we thought more about that stuff. Yeah, um, pa pairing those two things, the bigger sort of social issues with, like, Margot's personal journey of growth, which was thought was also important, was yeah. Um, yeah. tough. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a lot of time on it. Hopefully it works. <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed the ending. I thought you guys did it really well. I was curious about how that sort of happened, but it makes sense that that was more complicated than just being like, yeah. oh, we know how it's going to end. It's fine. Yeah. Um, murder mysteries. It's like they find the killer and then yeah. they go to jail and we realize we're like, oh, this isn't going to follow. Yeah, that. this, <laughs> this can't just had, had to unravel a bit. Definitely. Also, I really love that you've got this really capable and confident and like badass heroine, but also that like a big part of this is like, 16-year-olds shouldn't be responsible for the weight of the world on their shoulders, especially <laughs> in YA where, and don't get me wrong, I love these books, but there are a lot of books about 16-year-olds taking down a tyrannical, apocalyptic yes. government and having nothing but the help of other 16-year-olds and, like, maybe a 19-year-old thrown in there for help who, like, dies in the second book. I love those series. I'm No shade to those series at all. I love them. But with a story set in the real world, and especially, like, you get this idea of a teenager with this full-time job that she's really competent and good at, but at the same time, like, she's still a teenager. I really like that you guys made that clear. There really was a sense of, like, she learned something in the end, which is always great. We thought about her journey as being, she starts out a lone wolf. She needs to learn to work with others, play nicely with others, and also to value the people in her life. Because I think even though she is a lone wolf, she does have some really great people in her life that she needs to do a better job of valuing. And I think Margot's journey is discovering some of that along the way and that's where that dovetailed nicely with the idea of her wanting to get some help in the end because I think that means like saying that you are not all powerful which is a really like we all have to sort of admit that to ourselves yeah. sometimes yeah and I think that was as we started to really adapt this into a book you know we had this idea of this unrealistically sort of confident and capable teenager but it was set in the real world and because we were dealing with this serious issue we realized if she was just like could take on everything it would feel sort of unsatisfying and also might be kind of obnoxious if she didn't have yeah. some sort of journey if yeah, she's yeah, just yeah. like I'm always the best I'm smarter than everybody but yeah 150 pages in you might be like oh all right, that's, that's enough, enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we were also going for like a noir feel for her and while they don't always have arcs I don't no. think depends on the book but oftentimes they don't but they do take a beating, <laughs> so we wanted Margot to get a little bit of a beating. Yeah, I think it's really honest to the way I know 
I especially like at that age would just take on too much. Like I was so convinced yeah. that I should take on everything I could that I would just pile and pile and pile until eventually yeah. like you can't carry it all anymore. And I liked the realism of that. I was also curious because, you know, Margot has this really strong sense of self. She's a fierce feminist and fights so hard for justice for these women and for her classmates. I was wondering if the opinions and her thoughts that she's so confident in, in a way that, like, I don't even know as an adult I'm super confident in, I was wondering if that was reminiscent of how you guys see the world, or if maybe that came more from, like, researching how high schoolers talk and behave nowadays, where that element of her personality came in. That's a very interesting question, and that what I would have wanted the answer to that question to be <laughs> was that we set out to make Margot a feminist, and we succeeded. But I was talking to Ian about this a little bit, and I, I really think that working on this book helped make me a better feminist or more feminist, because while we set out, like I said, to like have Margot come down on the right side of this issue and to be working hard for other women, and I cannot tell you how many times that patriarchal language crept into our work. It, we have examples of it in the book where we correct ourselves, but how many times do you say man for something? And that's on just like a very molecular, small level, but there were other examples of it on a broader level where we had to catch ourselves. It's not to be in service of how high schoolers are feeling now. It's, I think Margot is a better version of a <laughs> feminist that I want to be. And that's, so in working to make her that, I think that that made us learn a little bit along the way. Yeah. I mean, she would say something because she's so confident and sort of mm -hmm. like an inspiring character to write that mm -hmm. we then would have to maybe research a certain topic yeah. and be like, is that person the best person to reference or yeah, is that, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh -huh. Is that really? And we'd have to take time out. So mm -hmm. I think we learned more from her, weirdly enough. Yeah. She like led us in directions and expanded Just, our... Yeah, asked us to think about it more than if we were writing another story. Some of that stuff would have crept in, and I don't know that we would have caught it all. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked that. And I liked where the footnotes helped to like either correct or she like corrected herself on what she was saying or she gave a little bit more context. There was one about Elizabeth Holmes that just like made me laugh. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sweaters. Right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> really liked that one. So sort of getting to the end, but I'm very curious and I'm sure other people too, because I think it's become a little bit more of a trend recently in especially YA actually for like couples to write books together. And I was wondering if there are people out there listening who might be thinking about considering working either with a writing partner or even with a significant other, if you guys had any advice for those listeners, or maybe even just unexpected struggles or even happy accidents that happen you wanted to, <laughs> to share with them? Yeah, sure. I think a writing partner is a great idea if you like to collaborate, and you should ask yourself that question. Do you love your writer's group? Do you feed off of somebody's energy? Do you get great ideas working and talking with another person? Then you might like a collaborator. <laughs> you might enjoy. And wait a second. Here's one more question for you. Are you willing to let your great idea go because this other person isn't a fan of it? Because you have to let go a lot of control that way. And if you answer yes to those questions, then you might want to work with another person. I love to collaborate. Yeah. I also like to collaborate, but I write a lot of stuff on my own. And I think I initially thought if I was going to write a novel, it would be on my own. Yeah. So that was definitely like a learning curve to just realize I had to let certain things go. Like I might think a line or a paragraph was brilliant and we got 
pretty good in articulating why we didn't like something. Like, yeah. I think we both got better at saying, like, well, this white isn't helping in the story, or why it's not working. But then sometimes it'd be like, I just don't, I really don't like it. But I learned that the benefit was there would be, I remember there was one line, I can't remember it exactly, but I, Carrie wrote it, and my response was, I was like, it's okay, I don't know, like, yeah, we can keep it in for now. And then our editor and another woman who read the book read it, and they were both, like, underlined it. We're like, this is hilarious. And I was like, this is why it is great <laughs> that I am not writing this by myself, because I'm clearly missing something, and that's sort of the, the well, joy of it. I was going to say two other things about that. One is... Because we are in a relationship, we've been together for a very long time. The early days of us collaborating, it would be something more like, that's terrible, cut it, start at the beginning, I hate that, yeah, I don't know, that doesn't do it for me. And we've had to become much kinder in the way that we speak to each other, and I think you were talking about that, like articulating exactly why you don't want something and really treating the other person with respect, surprise, made the creative process go more smoothly. And also making sure it can be tempting, especially when you're like under the gun and yeah. rewriting stuff to just be like, all right, ABC doesn't work. We need to cut these things out to really be like, I love this part and say yeah. what you like. Yeah, we make a point of telling the other person. Here, I'll tell you what our process is like. We try to generally do two chapters a week of the first draft. It really ends up being more than the first draft by the time the week is over, but we each write a chapter and it usually takes us one to two days depending on the chapter. Then we trade and what we were doing at the beginning, which caused a lot more arguments, is we would trade. We just give each other the chapter and the other person would take like a full rewrite of it. And then you know, on Thursday, you'd get back this paper that was nothing paper, like we used paper. <laughs> You'd get back a document that was fully different, like a page one rewrite. None of your stuff was in there. And you would be furious because you'd be like, why did I spend Monday and Tuesday writing? Then we instituted this additional step where after we read the other person's chapter, we have a meeting and we talk about like what worked, what we liked about it and why we're going to change some of the things, you know, this has to go because of pacing. It's taking too long. I imagine this going in a future chapter, but I don't think it fits here or this feels wonky to the character. I'm going to take a pass at this dialogue or whatever it was. Having that meeting just made it all go so much more smoothly. And I don't think it's a bad idea to sort of have to like, argue or defend your creative take on something and I think that ultimately makes it get somewhere stronger so that by the time that week is over it's not really a first draft it's been through a bunch of different iterations through each other's yeah. uh, passes yeah and then yeah. the final thing I'll say is that a few years ago I'd say for like two years we were in couples counseling and I can't imagine yeah. that uh, we would have been able to write this before, if we hadn't had years of therapy well, about no, how to communicate we can prove it. it because we tried to write a screenplay together before the couple's counseling and it was fraught yeah awful it was not a good experience so if you find yourself in a toxic collaboration yeah yeah even if you're not in a relationship maybe try uh try people do that people go to therapy with their writing partners Mm -hmm. sure I love that. I I feel like I'm always advocating therapy on this podcast, <laughs> which is great. I love it. There's a lot of YA books that now, especially contemporary YA books, where the character either is in therapy or ends up in therapy. Like yeah. there's some sort of mental health element that comes into it. And your book also included that too. Several of the characters who really needed to be in therapy were, which I always appreciated. So getting to the end, are we going to see more from Margot? I'm really hoping the answer is yes. Yes, we initially signed a two-book deal, and we've sort of been writing the second book right after the first one was done. We wrote the second one. Yes. So, it's, so it should be released in fall 2022, but who knows? So yeah. hopefully next year. 
We, we've met our deadlines this far. We'll see, we'll see I what mean, happens. sort of we have. We've turned something in. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I love that. Oh, I'm so excited. That's amazing. I got to the end and was like, does this have to be the end? Can there be <laughs> more? I really want to know what happens next. I'm very happy to hear that. So we always like to wrap it up. Where can our listeners learn more about you guys and your books? So I recently got a Twitter and an Instagram for Margot Mertz. So those are at Margot Mertz on Twitter and at Margot Mertz takes it down on Instagram. And then I'm at Carrie McCrossan on Twitter and at Miss Carrie Lynn on Instagram. And I am at Ian McQuethy on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, Ian McQuethy. And I'm sadly not on Instagram. It's okay. But I'm considering... Joining TikTok and having Carrie's eight-year-old niece try and teach it to me. I think I think yeah. that might be my introduction. Honestly, she's no, really no. good at it. I know. Also, I think that might be like eight. a funny series. She's so. like 10 now. But she's yeah. 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 So even better. She'll be even more. She's really good at it. Yeah, that sounds about right. I probably <laughs> need that too. Thank you guys so much for being here with us today. This was so much fun. I loved your book. I can't wait for more people to get to read it. Just thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This is so fun. Thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We are at BookmarkedYA. You can also follow Bookstacked on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Bookmark. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.